Final Word on Prayer. That's the title of Brian's study talk here on Search for Truth Radio today. Is there a tension between God's sovereign control of this world and our prayers, notably our supplicatory prayers, where we ask God to change things for us? So listen on and find out more. Because today is the 13th study in this 14-week series, which is called Our God Reigns, the Awesome Sovereignty of God. Prayer is one of the most precious and powerful tools in our Christian living and our relationship with God. The hymn we have today expresses it thus. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So we'll enjoy hearing our singers after Brian's talk. But here he is. Indeed, thanks, John. Let's begin by asking, what's the purpose of prayer? Is it to change God's mind? More basic than that, let's ask, does prayer change God's mind? The Bible says there are certain things the unchanging and unchangeable God has decreed from all eternity. Those things will inevitably come to pass. No human being has ever had a more profound understanding of divine sovereignty than Jesus. And no man ever prayed more effectively. In Gethsemane, Jesus requested a different way. When that request was denied, he bowed to the Father's will. Here was perfect humanity modelling for us the perfect practice of prayer. In Matthew's record of Jesus praying, we seem to be able to observe a change of some sort taking place. At first, Jesus asks, let this cup pass from me. Later, he emphasises, your will be done. The prayer of our Lord in Matthew 26 changed from, if it is possible, to, if this cannot be. In other words, a change of wording in our Lord's request from, if it is possible, to, if it is not possible. All these changes occur between verses 39 and 42 of Matthew chapter 26. Jesus The perfect man is giving us the perfect example of how we come to bow to the will of God through prayer. That prayer in Gethsemane was all about bowing to the perfect will of God. It was never about attempting to bend the perfect will of God. Both God's decree and Christ's prayer were actually accounted for in the eternal councils, where the cross was planned by the triune God as the only possible means for any humans to be saved from eternal damnation on account of human rebellion. We've been thinking about the question, does prayer change God's mind? The follow-up question is, if God knows everything already, including what he's going to do, does prayer actually work? Isn't it pointless? We can straight away rule out any idea of prayer being pointless. God both commands us to pray and also invites us to make our requests known. James, writing in his letter near the back of our Bibles, says we don't have because we don't ask. That implies we should ask, but for the right things. But much more than that, the promise of the Scriptures, proved by example, is that prayer does work. James again, who makes helpful contributions to our understanding of prayer, says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
James 5.16. That does highlight a problem, however. The problem is we're not all that righteous. Someone has commented, what prayer most often changes is the wickedness of our own hearts. I'm sure that's got to be correct. And if so, that alone is reason enough to pray. But let's come back again to the question, if God knows everything, why pray? The question assumes that prayer is one-dimensional. In other words, that it's all about supplication or intercession. On the contrary, prayer is multidimensional. It's a cliche, perhaps, but the spectrum of prayer is more fully spelled out in the letters of the word ACTS as A-C-T-S, where A stands for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. The last part, supplication, is only one part or dimension of prayer. God's sovereignty casts no shadow over the prayer of adoration. God's foreknowledge or determinate counsel doesn't negate the prayer of praise. The only thing it should do is give us greater reason for expressing our adoration for who God is. And in what way could God's sovereignty negatively affect the prayer of confession? I may not understand the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility, but I do realise that what stems from the wickedness of my own heart doesn't line up with the will of God. We pray because we're guilty, pleading pardon from an offended God. If anything, our understanding of God's sovereignty should provoke us to an intense prayer life of thanksgiving. We should see that every benefit, every good and perfect gift, is an expression of the abundance of his sovereign grace. Now, we need to return to the case of the prayer of supplication. This is what we usually have in mind when we ask, does prayer change things? And Bible examples would show us the answer is yes. Before we share one of those biblical examples, it may be worth reinforcing the distinction we've made there. Prayer doesn't change God's mind because the God of the Bible is immutable. He's unchanging. That's what Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I the Lord do not change. However, prayer changes things because the God of the Bible is sovereign over all things. He himself doesn't change, but he changes things. Nothing outside of his own will can influence God, but he does influence everything. That is basic to the idea of the sovereignty of God that the Bible teaches. Now, we'll come to the first of our biblical examples of prayer changing things. Take the case of Nineveh. When God hangs his sword of judgment over people's heads and they repent, he then withholds his judgment. Ah, you say, that's my point. God changed his mind. No, I don't think that would be the correct conclusion to draw from that example and others like it. The mind of God doesn't change for God doesn't change. Things change according to his sovereign will, and they change through secondary means and secondary activities in which prayer may be involved. The prayers of God's people is one of the means he uses to bring things to pass in this world. God has it within his power to order all things according to his purpose. At this point, we should say something more about the will of God. When we talk loosely about the will of God, it's important to say what we mean exactly because there are differences in how the Bible speaks about God's will. We talked earlier of how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
confirming it was his father's will that he should die on the cross. It was. There could be no alternative. Before the world began to exist, it had been decreed that the Son of God, as man, would die to pay for human disobedience. This was something that was predetermined. How right it was for Jesus to pray in the terms in which he did. How sure we can be also from God's word that there could never be any change in the decree, not in that decree, nor in any other matter which God has similarly appointed. For example, the stumbling of Israel as a nation. Indeed, no change is possible in anything that's subject to God's foreordination or sovereign predestining grace, like an individual's salvation. Some people refer to this as God's decretive will, because it has to do with his decrees. Let's now shift the focus somewhat. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he commanded his apostles to make other disciples, to baptise them, and to teach them to observe all the things he'd commanded them. Our Lord, who is the one with total authority in heaven and on earth, didn't leave his followers to make up their own minds about how to follow him. Christianity is principally a relationship with Christ, that's true, but there are rules or precepts laid down in the Bible for us to obey. We don't need to inquire from God if baptism is the right step for us to take after receiving Christ, any more than we need to pray to confirm it's wrong to sleep with someone who isn't our spouse. There's only one thing to be done with the Lord's precepts, and that's to obey them. Some people refer to these commands as the preceptive will of God, coming from the word precepts, because obviously his will is spelt out there in the precepts contained in our Bible. Again, there's no wiggle room. Then we come to what God wants. This is very different from what God decrees. His decrees always come to pass, but God doesn't always get what he wants. For example, we read in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Some Bible versions translate this as God wills all to be saved rather than God desires it. But to use the word will here allows possible confusion with God's will by decree. That cannot be in view here, or we would end up with the teaching of universalism. Universalism, which teaches all people will end up saved from eternal judgment, is plainly wrong, as Christ spoke of those who suffer the fire of eternal punishment. God's expressed desire here won't be fully realised. But this statement in 1 Timothy 2.4, does emphasise that God takes no pleasure in the death and judgment of the wicked. It's perfectly correct for us to express a desire for someone's salvation. Paul did it, while still being convinced at the same time by Scripture that it's those who are appointed to eternal life who will believe. We pray, not knowing who are appointed to life. Christ, who did know, prayed for those whom the Father had given to him. John's Gospel, especially in chapters 6 and 17, make it clear that Christ's death was effective for all for whom God intended it to be. In summary then, prayer cannot change God's mind. Prayer can change things. And most of all, prayer does change us, because by it personal character is shaped and duties directed. It's good to allow ourselves to be influenced through the practice of God's presence, until our desires reflect his desires. God only permits those things which will lead to the accomplishment of his decrees. 
There are times when God wants us to be at a certain place, doing a certain thing, and so it's good to pray about it. But God's personal guidance in our lives never violates either his decrees or his precepts. Thanks, Brian, for your talk. Now, do remember that these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. And here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Many thanks again for giving up your time to share with me in an encouraging study. I hope you found it encouraging too. So next time, please join me for the opening of the scroll. That's the title of Brian's talk. It'll be the final talk in this series. My, how the weeks have flown. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you. Oh